It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there, but how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals in select markets around the country for as little as 10% down with cash-on-cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you want to take the next step, go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Taylor Lote. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not yet familiar with Taylor, he is a commercial real estate investor focusing on institutional quality multifamily and self-storage properties. Taylor has partnered and invested in over $50 million in commercial real estate and helps others learn how to build passive wealth on his three-day-a-week podcast, The Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Taylor, my man, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Man, it's been great talking with you. We've been on the line to break the fourth wall. We've already been here for 45 minutes just talking. We could go for hours and hours. Yeah, to I got to be honest. I wasn't sure we were ever going to record the podcast episode. So <laughs> it's uh, it's good to get this thing kicked off, man. Uh, super excited about that. Uh, hear more about you and what you got going on. So let's just start there, man. Uh, tell us more about your background, your story, and your current focus. Yeah, absolutely. So as we were talking about, it's it's not super dissimilar uh, from you. I mean, I went to school for chemical engineering, much like you did uh, around the same time. And uh, graduated, got got a big boy job, you know, finally making a little bit of money. And I thought, how do I, how do I turn this into more? As I don't want to do this forever, I need, I know I need to turn this into more. I want to stop trading uh, hours for dollars. So the first book that I picked up, I had been listening to podcasts at the time, but just uh, you know, stock market type of things. The first book I picked up was The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin mm. Graham, Warren Buffett's you know mentor, kind of inspired him to go down the path of, of value investing. That got me started really on index fund investing. I had heard through podcasts and other research that, hey, you can't pick stocks. You really can't do it. You're not going to beat the market. So that's what I did. And, and I just so happened <laughs> to be doing that at a great time, right in the wake of the Great Recession. I mean, you can't, I don't think we're able, <laughs> hopefully we honestly, we never get a, a buying opportunity like that again. Yeah. Uh, but after a few years, you know, engineer, doing the math, seeing that, this the trajectory is not what I want it to be here. And, you know, again, as we were we were talking about, well, I, the answer that I came up with at the time was kind of the standard answer that a lot of people with college degrees come up with, which, okay, I'm going to go get an MBA. That was my answer. I'll go get an MBA. But I always had misgivings kind of in the back of my mind, like, do I want to be a consultant? Do I want to be a banker? And around that time in my in my work life, I was traveling around the country every week, going to conferences and meeting with customers in a national sales territory. And I saw a lot of the country, spent a lot of time in planes, still don't like flying, uh, <laughs> still not a comfortable flyer, but I did it anyway. Uh, but through that, I knew I didn't want to be a consultant and no interest being a banker uh, and just so happened to pick up Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that started sending me down the path of, of real estate investing. And that was kind of the 
the beginning of the end of my ever going and getting an MBA. And I invest a lot of time. I got the, took the test, GMAT, got a pretty good score, started, started, you know, applying to schools and decided, no, I'm not going to do it. I uh, learned about real estate investing, really made the switch. And, and once you dive into real estate, you start to learn how much you didn't know about real estate investing, at least in my case. And I think a lot of busy professionals, the real estate investing strategies, uh, quote unquote, that you probably know about getting started are flipping and buying the single family up the street and renting it out. But again, doing the math, I saw that these strategies don't really scale. They don't work in the way that I think I I need them to. And I also saw that flipping, you know, I knew a lot of flippers got kind of burned in the Great Recession. Didn't make sense to me. And I think once you learn more about the financials and how it's taxed and you're not really investing in real estate, at least in my opinion now. So I knew I didn't want to do that. The single family stuff, that's fine. And and at the time there were good buying opportunities, especially, you know, in hindsight. But it just didn't, it didn't give me that like excitement. It didn't make me sure. want to say, man, I could do this nights, weekends, not even, not even bad an eye. And after, after some time I started learning about and studying, networking, all that kind of thing, started learning about commercial real estate and ultimately syndication. And that is really, that is really what did it for me. That got me, you know, excited. That's, that's what I want to get involved in. So it was a number of years ago and uh, just started, you know, going down that path. Yeah, I think that's great. And so I want to dive into that a little bit because I think it's so important for investors to kind of understand who they are as an investor, right? And how important that is in determining where you should be investing and how you should be investing. So as you're going through this process of, you know, kind of finding your fit, seeing what you align with, did you already know the type of investor that you were? Did you have that kind of that keen understanding of, hey, you know, this is this is what I know about myself. This is where where I would be a good fit. Or did that kind of get hashed out kind of while you were looking for the type of investment to to kind of put your money into or where you wanted to be? That's an interesting question. And and I think the most honest answer is that I didn't really know it was a feeling. You know, granted at the time I was a a man in my 20s. Uh so we're men in our 20s. Now I'm in my 30s. Uh, but men in our twenties, we're not all that like personally insightful. We don't really know. I think at least in my case, you know, I don't know. I don't know about everybody else, but for me, you know, that that's a process of learning and growth and, and kind of figuring, uh, figuring things out. And, you know, I think it's important for me to, to clarify that though, that, yeah, I got excited about these asset classes, but, you know, in practice, in reality, doing deals is fun. It's exciting, but good investing is pretty boring. You know, I, I think that's one of the ways in which people are getting in so much trouble lately against something we were talking about before we record, we're, we're recording on uh, the crypto, the NFT space. Yeah, some of that stuff's exciting. There's a lot of hype around those things. A lot of people promising these insane returns that are not real. But I think that's really where people are getting in trouble in that space is, is getting too excited about what they perceive uh, the the potential to be and what they perceive the the strategy to be. So I think it's good to gravitate to something that really, you know, especially real estate investing is work. It does take time and you need to, it's best to focus on things that in a sense you get excited about because it doesn't feel like work all the time. Sometimes it will, but getting excited about something because you think you're going to, you know, make a jillion dollars or, you know, reinvent the world may not be the best sign. So it's, it's important to, I think, clarify that and I'll also um, just contextualize what good excitement is versus maybe bad excitement, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. Cause I, like we were talking about before is, you know, they got that shiny object syndrome, you know, that's, that's very easy trap to fall into. Right. And I think that, you know, if you get excited over certain things, that's fine. And if you have a little money to play with, you know, do what you got to do. If it's a little, you know, slice of your portfolio, but at the same time, you want to find that foundational investment that you can really hold on to. And I think that, you know, finding real estate syndications for both of us has been, has been the key. So I kind of want to, you know, take that and move on from there. So, you know, you found syndications, you'd gotten educated, you did the networking conferences, all that good stuff. Um, so what was your first move into being, you know, into syndications? Were you, were you purposely intentionally going to be an active investor or was it, Hey, let me, let me do some passive investing first and then go into active, or maybe just even, I'm just going to be a passive investor. So yeah, my goal was really, once I learned about it was really to get more on the active side of things. Cool. Uh, but there, as you know, there are many ways to get into it and get started on the active side. And to me, the path that made the most sense was to start as a passive investor to start to get some exposure and better understanding of the inside of, of the business. Uh, because you can learn, you can learn quite a bit from books for, you know, whatever, a, a couple of $20 books can really get you a long way, but it doesn't get you the same, I think, lessons as even just passively investing. You get a lot more insights into deals. You can ask a lot of questions before you make your first, you know, passive investment, at least in my case, you can review a lot of things, really start to understand, you get deal flow coming in. So that was really the path that made the most sense for me, especially since I had, you know, I had been investing, so I was an investor and I was just shifting what I was, you know, investing my money in. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, I, I tell people that all the time, like if you're going to get into, you know, real estate syndications one way or another, I think it's probably advantageous to do a passive investment first. So, so looking back in your experience, if you were to do it all over again, would you make a passive investment first and still kind of use the same path that you took? Or would you just say, Hey, you know what, I'm just going to go into this active side and start doing it. Uh, so I'm, I'm really glad you asked this question. Um, so yes and no. The yes part is yes, I would still uh, make the passive investment. The part that I regret now, and regret is maybe too strong of a word, but would do differently, um, and especially I'm, I'm feeling it now, is I used a, a self-directed IRA, mm. and which I still have, and I've still rolled over into other deals. It's still it's still invested in syndications, and you know it's gone fine, uh, but there are downsides to that that I didn't understand going in there's things like a ubit unrelated business income tax which is a whole thing you got to talk to a cpa about but if you're investing in a real estate deal that uses leverage by using your self-directed ira then there is an additional tax and oftentimes self-directed ira investing is incorrectly presented as a totally tax-free way (laughs) to invest your money it's not that is false there are potential tax implications that your self-directed ira may have to pay. You got to talk to a CPA about that, dig into it. So that's one. That's not the biggest regret. Really right now, the aspect of of the self-directed IRA investment that I regret, again, I hate to keep saying regret, but would do differently. It's just the administrative headache, man. It's mm. such a pain in the neck. Just you got to work through a custodian. My custodian's kind of a pain in the neck. It's an extra CPA that I have to pay every year. Now, granted, technically it's my self-directed IRA paying my CPA, but as far as I'm concerned for my, that's okay. It's not my money right now, but it's my money in another, you know, 25, 30 years. So as far as I'm concerned, it's my money that I'm spending right, right now. Plus it's hours of my time to administrate all this. So, you know, self-directed IRA investing is fine if you know what you're getting into. And if you're ready to ready to handle the administrative burden, 
to me, I'm tired of the administrative burden. Um, once it's closed, the deal it's in is closed out, I'm probably going to cash it out. Or I hate to say, maybe put just put it back in, you know, the Wall Street casino. I'm not really sure. I probably have a couple of years till I really need to make that decision. But as far as do it differently, I would just fund it differently. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's pretty amazing how much we have in common, man. I know we talked a little bit about that, but that's that's exactly how I started too. Well, not exactly, but pretty close. And I got to tell you, um, you know, that but that was the way I could get into it. You know, that's the way I could get into that first deal is using the funds in that you know in that type mm-hmm. of account. And I was eager to get started, you know, but it would have been a lot better if I just had some free cash that I could put into a deal, in my opinion. Uh, so uh, I, it's pretty amazing that you brought that up, and I, I really think we could probably do a whole nother episode just on that topic. So we might have to save that for another day. Sure. But uh, so I do want to talk about you know kind of. You've obviously grown as an investor. You started passive investing, and now you're kind of you know helping others get into deals. Uh, you know more on the active side. So uh, <clears throat> I kind of want to have like a before and after type of look at this. So you're starting to get into these these passive deals, um, and you're doing your due diligence. So talk a little bit about what that looked like uh, back then, your due diligence process versus kind of what you do now uh, as more of a you know as you've progressed into this you know this whole new thing. Sure. So. You know, early on, I'd I'd like to say that my due diligence was you know fully fleshed out and and really well informed, but I may have been just a little too excited to get into the space. Now, granted, the the everything worked out. The first deal that I passively invested in, though, uh, the the property manager did steal money from us. Uh, the general partner, who's been on my show to talk about this, you know, pretty transparently, which I, I give him a lot of respect for. General partner caught that very quickly that mitigated the damage. Um, there were issues there. The property manager had general partnership ownership, which to me is just a huge nightmare. You got a third party prop- property manager; they need to be third party. They they can't be a general partner. I've just seen that blow up for people so many times. Um, I don't know if I really would have caught that in the due diligence that I knew how to do at the time. Now sure. it's just a, a deal structure that I uh, that I avoid. Um, it kind of in, invites or maybe incentivizes bad acting or maybe just being being a, a little lazy. Um, whereas now, you know, we have I, there's structures in place. I got so many people that I work with. It's very thorough due diligence on the deals and the sponsors, you know, we, there's crowd check involved and, you know, a lot of third party verification. Now, I think it's important to bear in mind that in, you know, private securities always bear the risk of loss. So we can, we can only get so far to mitigating our risk. Obviously we want to mitigate as much as we can, but I think it's important to be clear headed when we're investing in anything. And this is something that kind of gets back to, what I touched on earlier and what we talked about before we were recording is something I've been kind of fascinated with recently is the NFT craze and crash and the real like inside story, if you will, of frankly, all the scams that happened. And for anybody out there that doesn't know, this, this is something I'm, I'm just kind of learning recently. I'm not a crypto hater. I do have a small crypto position, uh, but I'm learning more of the inside out and out fraud that was going on. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, just look up a guy on YouTube named Coffeezilla. Uh, is a is a great show. He really digs into just a lot of the shady dealings in that. Um, but I think a lot of those those again, people getting too excited, thinking there's no way I can lose in this. I'm going to make you know hundreds or thousands of percent annualized returns on this investment, which is just insane. Never you know, never go for that. But um, you know, I think there's just so many people positioning that as you you just can't lose. It's going to go up. It's going to go up. And like, 
you can lose your money in anything. And we need to be, we need to be aware of that as prudent investors, you know, placing our capital or placing other people's capital, you know, in, in any kind of deal. Yeah. And I think you bring up something really important, man. You know, so as with anything new that anybody's getting into, right. You, you, you just don't know what you don't know. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things. If you haven't, you don't know about it. You're just not going to know what to look for. And I think this applies, especially to new investors, whether it's an NFT or a syndication or whatever, right. But, you know, we're here to talk, we're going to talk about syndication. So for those out there that are, you know, considering investing in a syndication, you know, you mentioned one being, you know, the, the third-party property manager thing, but what are some other red flags that maybe passive investors should be aware of when they're looking at deals? Sure. And I just put out a, a free seven-day video course about this so people Perfect. can get if they want. But, uh, you know, we can go go through a few of them. Um, sure. you know, in my mind, the uh, first one, a really big one, is the, just the track record of the sponsor. Have they done this before? Do they have experience with these this type of deal? And it's always important to bear in mind that past performance is not indicative of future results. So you need to shade your expectations with that. But to me, if I'm getting surgery... I want the surgeon who's done this, you know, thousands of times. I don't want the guy who's fresh out of med school and, you know, hasn't done it before. And I know surgery doesn't technically work that way, but you know, <laughs> I want, I want somebody who's done this procedure several times, many, many times rather than, you know, just, just getting started and hasn't done it before. Um, you know, to me, I think a, a big red flag that a lot of investors can spot early on, or maybe get, they get a hint of early on is how responsive sponsors investor relations are? Do they get back to you in a, in a prompt manner? Do they thoroughly answer your question? They just kind of ignore you. I mean, that's one right there. If they're not responding to me how right now before I've invested my money, how are they going to respond to me if they have my money and it's not going great or sure. maybe my money gets sent to the wrong place or whatever, something goes wrong. How are they going to handle it when, when times are bad, so to speak? Um, couple more, I think it's important to be aware of the average market return of the type of a deal that you're investing in. So if you invest in value-add multifamily syndications, as so many of us do, and if you see enough of those deals, you'll get a good picture of what a typical projected return is for a deal in today's market. I'm not saying I'm not giving a specific return in this discussion, sure. but in my time as a real estate investor, in my time investing in syndications, as the market has matured, I've seen that band go down. And that's that's okay. That's a shift in the market. Times have changed. That's all right. But I only know that because of my observations. Mm -hmm. So if now I'm in a position where I'm considering a deal and I have that band in my mind and somebody's saying they're going to massively outperform that band that everybody else in the market is staying within, mm, maybe they will, maybe, <laughs> but I don't think I'm going to put my money, you know, in, in, on that horse. Uh, another one I'll drop here for you, uh, is, and th this is a tough one. This gets a little into the weeds for the engineers out there. You might really, uh, enjoy this one is bad underwriting. And I wouldn't necessarily say that every passive investor out there needs to become a master underwriter because that's, you know, it's a very detailed skill. It's not something you need to be great at, but I don't think it's a bad idea to know how to check a sponsor's math. And I've seen sponsors have fairly basic but nuanced math errors in their underwriting sheets that resulted in the 
correct projected returns being different from their projected returns. They, mm. they ran, you know, got a little formulary error wrong and yeah. just simply checking their math would, would show that. And I've caught errors personally that were fairly marginal in the projected returns. But to me, that, that kind of an error just puts you out, you know, what are, what other things have you overlooked? I mean, the math is a pretty basic aspect of investing in real estate, especially commercial real estate where, you know, NOI and cap rate is kind of, and DSCR are like the metrics at the end of the day, what's the property going to be worth? So if you made a mistake on the NOI or you didn't run IRR correctly or something like that, then, you know, I'm good. And I think that's something to, you know, be aware of, know how to check their math. And, you know, it, that really gets into the nuances. Um, but yeah, there's just a, just a few that I've, I've come across. It's not, I think it's important you know, to, to make sure we're aware that any of these lists of red flags or things that can go wrong in a syndication, they're not definitive. You know, there, there are a lot of things that can go wrong in a real estate deal. And, you know, this is not me being a, a, a Cassandra, if you will. I think that's a Greek mythology, but it's me saying that, you know, you need to be on the lookout for things that can go wrong left and right, but there's just no, you know, definitive list. Maybe I'm saying this is a bit of a CYA, but these are kind of the, and then the course is like the top seven that I've just observed in my time as a syndication investor. Well, I think all of those are great, great red flags to be aware of, you know, and especially, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the underwriting mistake or whatever being basically, you know, a red flag that puts them out of the category, out of the running of being, you know, a potential uh, investment that you're going to make. So I, I do want to kind of piggyback on top of that, because I think this is very important. Well, it's important to, you know, certain to investors. And uh, I kind of want to get your personal take on that, you know, so you've already mentioned one, you know, the underwriting, if there's an issue with that, it's probably a no-go. So uh, in terms of deals or sponsors, when you're evaluating them, are there any other things that you know for yourself personally, um, and I don't know if you can share this, but if you can, that are, that are go, no goes, you know what I'm saying? That are just definitive. Hey, if you cry, if this happens, I'm not even going to, you know, I'm not going to invest in this deal. Is there anything else besides maybe just that underwriting piece that you're just like, this is it for me. If you cross this and we're going to move on. Oh, sure. I would say most of the ones that I named are, okay. are pretty much killers for me. I mean, especially track record, if they haven't done it before, then, sure. you know, I'm, I'm out. Um, Unresponsive investor relations, I'm out. Unrealistically, unrealistically high return projections, I'm out. Because to me, the especially that one is it, it can be a sign of 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 malicious behavior. Not necessarily. You never. What's the? I say Hanlon's razor. Never attribute to malice what can be adequately explained by incompetence. But mm. both malice and incompetence are not acceptable to me when you're sure. talking about, you know, managing my money. Um, so most of them, you know, for me are no thanks. I'm moving on. And, and that really gets to, I think the most important, maybe not the most important point. I want to blow these up, but, but a, an overarching theme is avoiding the feeling of FOMO, you know, and again, this is the NFT thing. FOMO, 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 everybody wants the, you know, the board ape that's going to run up to X, you know, millions of yeah. dollars because they're afraid of, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there are a lot of great sponsors out there. There are plenty of deals in any market, people out finding them. So if you're looking at a deal where you don't get the right feeling, great, move on. Yep. You know, that, that first rule, Warren Buffett's full, uh, for two rules of investing, excuse me. First rule, don't lose money. Rule number two, refer to rule number one. And <laughs> I think maybe uh, that may mean to some people that I'm being too conservative, but 
you know, to me, that's, that's okay. And I, you know, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's especially important for investors out there to define those red flags that are, that are make or break for them. You know, if you see something in a deal, know that this is something that you're not going to want to find out later down the road when you've already placed $50,000 in the deal. You know, I've heard people talking about, you know, communication, they didn't get like a sample communication beforehand, or they didn't speak to, a, you know, somebody else who's, who's invested with them and find out, you know, what their experience was like. And mm-hmm. then they placed some capital and they were either disappointed or whatever, because the communication wasn't what they thought it was going to be, or didn't align with what they wanted. Right. You know, and I think that that speaks volumes of what you're saying. And I think one thing that I can add on to that is if you can get uh, a non, you know, you can ask a sponsor for referrals, right? That's always a great thing to do, but they're going to give you the best referrals, of course. But if you can find somebody in like a mastermind or somebody that isn't referred from the sponsor, somebody who's just invested with them and pick their brain on, you know, what they think of that, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, all that good stuff. Uh, that's going to be the best way to, well, it's a, a really good way to find out who to invest with. Cause I know my first deal that I invested in, I did do that. Right. And it was, it was okay. There was, there was a lot of things I made mistakes on that I learned from, but when I, when I was able to, uh, you know, talk to other people, network other people and find out who they're investing in, who they were investing with and their experience, man, my past investing just took off from there. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was investing with great, great sponsors. So highly recommend that. And I, and I definitely recommend, you know, everybody, you know, checking out your red flag, um, um, document or, you know, all that good stuff. Cause these are super important topics that people should be paying attention to and, and not miss it on. So man, I gotta be honest with you. I, I know we talked 45 minutes before the show. Like we talked <laughs> for another hour going on here. I still got a bunch of other questions, but I want to be respectful of your time. So before we get out of here, tell us, uh, you know, what you got going on, uh, where people can find you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're consistently doing real estate deals. I think, uh, with interest rates going up, that may cause an effect in, in deal flow in the market generally, but you know, we're here still here. We're still believe that real estate is a, is a great asset class, multifamily and self-storage, uh, specifically, um, for my podcast, the passive wealth strategy show, you can find out where you're listening to us, uh, right now, every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, escape the wall street casino by listening to the show. And, uh, the seven day video course is at passive real estate course.com. Awesome. We're going to make sure to put that in the show notes. Highly recommend anybody. As soon as you get done listening to the show, go over to Taylor's podcast, leave him a five-star rating and written review. Got a fire show. Got a fire show. Um, don't miss it. It's going to be great. Um, check that out. Check out his course. He's providing a lot of great content out there. And Taylor, again, been a great conversation, man. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.